August 13th, 2010, Frankel wins for the first time at Newmarket, beginning an incredible run of 14 wins. All great streaks start somewhere, so start your own with Betfair's free bet streak. Simply bet £20 on the exchange this week and get a £5 free bet. If you win with a free bet, you'll get another. It's that simple. Free bet streak from Betfair. Weekly opt-in, back on exchange bets, placed Monday to Sunday. Minimum odds of £1.55 free bet awarded at Bet Settlement. Ballot for 72 hours, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by AtTheRaces.com, your ultimate resource for finding winners. Welcome to the show and thank you for downloading. Also, thank you very, very much for making us a top show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts over the weekend. High fives all around. It's a small thing, but it means a lot and uh, much appreciated. Lots of racing podcasts and I think it's fantastic because in my view, podcasts are taking over from radio. We're coming for your radio. It's a better platform. So thank you for listening. And uh, hopefully we will reward you with more great content. Uh, today, I'm your host, Emerson Kennedy, joined by now at the races columnist, Kate Tracy. <laughs> that sounds cool, doesn't it? <laughs> Very cool. Uh, yes. Please tell me you have updated your LinkedIn and your bio. Oh, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I have. I have updated my Instagram and my Twitter bio officially to call them a preparation. It felt good. The crowd's going wild. They love it. They love it. <laughs> it felt so good. Uh, well deserved. And congratulations on lending a TriCast yesterday as well. Uh, I did notice that a number of Final Fallen Podcast listeners were tweeting you going, you've been spending too much time with Emmett and his exotic bets. In the background, you can hear laughing away the one, the only, the Don from the Betfair Exchange. It's Barry Orr. Hi there. How is everyone? Good, thank God. And it is great to have you back on, my friend. How are you? It's great to be back on. It's uh, been a long time between drinks, but I think the last time I was on, Kate might have been on also. So she was. I'm in illustrious company, that's for sure. <laughs> These are the rules. Natey or columnist, nonetheless. I suspect... It won't stop there for Kate Tracy. The only way is up. There is breaking news, not necessarily for you, but it is for us. Aidan and Dunnico O'Brien both fined and banned by IHRB for breaching COVID-19 rules. Uh, this happened on Irish Guineas weekend when they accessed the race course when they shouldn't have. And they both have been banned from Irish racetracks for two weeks because they didn't go through the correct screening area on the 12th of June and find two and a half thousand euro as well. The reason that they weren't fined as much as Emmett Mullins, which was 5,000 euro, is because they actually had the paperwork done, whereas Emmett didn't. But still, clamping down heavily. And there was another breach where Enda Bulger has been banned from the races for two weeks and every Irish trainer got a letter because of a, a breach on Irish Derby weekend as well. They chose not to take action there, but they sent out a warning to everybody. So times are tough and everybody's stressed out, but we're just glad to have racing back, but we, we can't mess around at all with this. And uh, please God, we can all just get on with our lives and focus on racing and everything will be a-okay. Fantastic racing that we saw over the weekend. And we'll start with the Darley July Cup, which was won by Oxted for Roger Teal and Kieran Fallon. A fantastic story. Gets the better of Skeptical uh, for Ireland from Dennis Hogan and Frankie Dettori and Golden Horde. A big price on the exchange, I'm going to guess, Barry, I'd imagine his bet for SP was much bigger than 12 to 1. Not massively bigger than 12 to 1. I think he was around 18. Uh, obviously, that's a win-only market on the on the Betfair exchange. Skeptica was well punted. Golden Horde was well punted in it as well. He shot to prominence the winner for the Betfair Sprint Cup in Haydock. 
the fantastically named Betfair Sprint Cup. He's five to one favorite for that on the sports book now ahead of Golden Horde and hello, Usain. But yeah, it was a top performance, wasn't it? Right out of top draw. I think the story's more about the trainer and the jockey than the horse itself. He's one that I think he needs a nice gap between his races. So I don't think he's going to be over race. He's only a four-year-old, a gelding, just like the king of the division, Batash. So I'm sure they're going to be around for a while to come. But uh, yeah, it was a really good performance. And I got a kick out of the jockey Kieran Fallon and his father yesterday saying that uh, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't go out, he doesn't know where he got him from. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, he's not a chip off the old block. Other than he's well able to ride horses, but uh, he seems well balanced. The only time his father was well balanced was when he was on the back of a horse. But this kid, <laughs> this kid has it both on and off horseback. Oh, Barry, you're coming in hot today on the final Fulham podcast, just firing on all cylinders. Uh, I believe Kieran Fallon, and I have to thank Nick Look for this, is the first uh, apprentice or jockey who claims to win a Group One in Britain since 1982 in the Oaks. Uh, 19 dickety do you have to go back to. So uh, thank you, Nick Look, uh, for that particular one. Uh, Kate, what was your impression of this race? So there a lot of talk about Golden Horde beforehand. I was quite bullish about Hallo Yumzane, but in the end, they weren't the ones who performed. It was the two geldings, Oxted and Skeptical. Mm, yeah, really interesting race. I mean, it looked it to, on profile beforehand, didn't it? As you say, Golden Horde, the sort of the, the pretender, really, that was uh, stepping up well, stepping back into this company again after his Commonwealth Cup Group 1 win and naturally was a favourite there because he was so impressive when we saw him uh, the last time as well. So, yeah, really liked the way that this race was shaping up and I agree with everything Barry was saying there about Oxted, about the story almost behind the horse there. Um, also, obviously, it was great for his sire, Mason, to give him his breakthrough Group 1 winner as well. And for Oxted to even just emulate his sire too and winning this race. And admittedly, Mason did win it in a bog at 20 to 1, but still, there's clearly very, he's a very valuable sire at just five grand. And it was a great training operation and performance from Matthias with the father and son duo of Roger and Harry. Fantastic for them to keep Kieran Fallon on board as well. And I know it's something I've been fairly vocal about with jockeys getting the jock for no apparent reason other than someone flashier coming along recently. But And I just loved what Roger Teal said about Kieran Fallon before the race, that why would he take him off of the horse? Why would we change something that works? Don't fix what ain't broken, all that. And it just goes to show that knowledge and a partnership between a rider and horse that works is more valuable than anything else. And it was really likable performance. I don't think there's any fluke about it. He broke well. Kieran Fallon just allowed him to bowl along in the lead, hit the front quite a way out just leaning in slightly to a sand side rail once he had to length up on Golden Horde, who then had to switch around Oxford. But his move by the winner had no implications on the final result. And Kieran Fallon having his stick in his right hand just allowed him to drift enough to intimidate the favourites before finishing off his race on the rising ground all the way to the line in a really decisive and powerful manner. He's fast and tough and he's proven himself now against the top sprinters around, uh, bettering his Avenant form clearly and showing himself to be a class act as well. And as I say, the right horses were in behind him. So I just don't think there was any fluke about the win at all. Um, and it was brilliant for Kieran Fallon after Oxford provided him with his first group win in a first group race in the Avenant. And then for his first ride in a group one to, I believe it was, to get his first win on this horse too is brilliant. And it really is that breakthrough horse every jockey needs to take them to the next and the highest level to showcase that jockey's talent. And he's got it with Oxford. And yeah, the race was run as well in a brilliant time too, being fast by 
0.41 of a second off of standard time and not far off a track record at all. And when you think about the extra £3 allowance jockeys have this season, that's a mighty performance. That's something I've really sort of only, only really thought about in the last few days about this extra weight allowance and the effect on timings and trying to bring that into uh, into context, really. But yeah, he just, Roger Teal said after his win in the Portland last year, his target was the July uh, Cup. So the Avenon was to see if Oxford was good enough for Brute Company. And they had this this um, thought going into the Avenon, uh, which he won impressively, beat some night sources that day. So decided to miss Ascot and simply, specifically aimed him for the July Cup. So great performance. Another great story, obviously, from Skeptical in behind. He's been one of the stories of the season, this little horse. Two and a half grand on the back of his win, bad wind out of Godolphin at the Doncaster sale picked up by Dennis Hogan, showed his amazing training performance. That was just uh, fantastic as well. So, yeah, nice race. Uh, great for the winner. Great stories, just sort of all around, really. The purchase of Oxted. So he, he did go through the sales ring uh, for £400,000 last year, but ultimately he's he's quite a cheap purchase, really, um, because that's, that's not where he started. And... Obviously, the the story about Skeptical is well known now. Godolphin cast off, picked up for three and a half grand or whatever it was. Um, Soul Power was a very cheap purchase as well. He was only five grand for the power team when, when they got him. And look what Eddie Lynham did with him. There was a, a point being made to me on Twitter by a Final Forlorn podcast listener saying, we've had the derby where essentially you have to be a multimillionaire if you're going to win that race, realistically. But you can realistically own a group one winning sprinter. It's a division that, that you can win in Barry. And that's something that I was coming away from it with. I was delighted for Roger Teal and, and Kieran Fallon Jr. to be coming away with this big win. But also that was ringing in my head that if the three of us chipped in and bought a racehorse together, we'd probably be looking for a sprinter for group one glory because it'd be way too difficult in the in the middle distance group. Yeah, you'd probably follow the James Foley um, modus operandi of going and buying Godolphin castoffs. That seems to be the the quick fire way to success with these horses. Obviously, they give them the cruelest cut before they sell them. They don't want to make complete boo boos of themselves. The Godolphin operation, but uh, nothing's yeah, going to be standing at stud. That's a Godolphin castoff. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, but yeah, that's 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 the game for a lot of them, isn't it? They they seem to go and they find those cheap boys that are well bred, and you know you give them a bit of time and uh, due care and attention. Dennis Hogan obviously has excelled with a couple of them, mm. um, and I think that the key is patience with them. And then they give them a spin. They buy them so cheaply; it's a throw of the dice. You'd have it on a horse, maybe if they were punters, and they prefer to have it a, a, a throw it in the in the sales ring and and uh, see where they land on it. And I, you got to commend them for it, don't they? It's, it's a gamble. It's a massive gamble for them, and it's paid off in spades. It really is. And we'll talk about racehorse ownership a little bit later on in the show. In terms of where he goes next, Barry, you were talking about his price for Haydock. Would you like to see him staying to six furlongs, or would you like to see him drop back and trip for the Nunthorpe, perhaps, uh, to five uh, and take on Patash? Definitely, yeah, he definitely won't go to the Nunthorpe. Definitely won't go to the Nuntorp. I, I, I think the, the Betfair Sprint Cup would be the race for him, definitely. Like I said, we put him in as 5-1 to one favourite there, but I don't even think he's quoted in the Nuntorp market, actually. You're not just saying that now because it's sponsored by Betfair? 
No, no, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. He's actually not even in the Nuntorp bed. Now, Nuntorp's going to be a cracker down fairness if they if they rock up there. Batash is odds on at the moment. You've sceptical in there. Art Power, who has blown me away in his two runs this year. He could be anything. A Ali in there as well. You've Golden Pal, Equilateral, the Learjet. You know, you could have a couple of those two-year-olds go, go in it as well, but that would be great to see. So, uh, yeah, that's shaping up to be a real cracker, but Batash heading the division there. But Art Power for me, I think he'll make them all go. I agree with you. Uh, I'm quite keen on him. I also like Skeptical for the race, though, and I think the drop back to five furlongs will suit him, Kate. Mm, yeah, no, I, I think he's just, he is all speed, this horse. And I don't think he lost anything at all in defeat there the other day. And he was, um, yeah, he was still bang there showing his usual turn of foot, drop back to five. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be one bit averse to that at all, just potentially with the rising ground that he met there on the July course the other day may have just sort of kept him then finishing off at the one pace. So yeah, sceptical back to five, I would be uh, keen for that as well. Either way, he's the best sprinter in Ireland now, without question. He'd kind of proved that at Royal Ascot. He's backed that up again. He he is proving to be a very consistent horse and uh, I'm sure his turn will come in Group 1 company. Is there anything else from behind, Barry, that you were keen to take out of the race so that you would forgive a poor run? Uh, not really. I, I thought they all ran their race, to be perfectly honest with you. Like Kate said, I don't think there was any hard luck stories. The German horse was very disappointing. He seemed to get plenty of airtime. His uh, mm. his um, trainer, and rightly so, because he does know the time of day. That man, Brando, ran well in sixth. Hello, his man, you know, ran his race. Kadem, I suppose, did, didn't make full use of his draw. His draw. You know, it's they've all ran the race in behind. It's just the, he's the best horse that, on the day, and he's probably be better than them in the coming weeks and and months as well. To be a little bit harsh about it, Kate, if you're looking at it straight down the the barrel of the lens and and looking at it without rose tinted glasses, is this division just a bit of a much of a muchness that they will continue to beat one another each time, or do you think Oxted can now? be the one who will dominate over this trip. Batash will be the, the dominant force over five and Oxted could be the dominant force over six. Oh, thanks for making me the bad guy. <laughs> 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 yeah, to be honest with you, I, I've enjoyed, I enjoyed the July Cup for exactly what it was for the stories. I think every horse ran exactly their race. The time was good, as I said, um, but if you're looking for, as you say, sort of a standout sprinter to go to war against Batash, yeah, you'd, I, I do think you would be hard pushed sort of on, on the bare abilities, yeah, on that kind of front. But it, 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 was, it was exactly as it was. It was enjoyable. And as you say, these, this is the kind of race which, if it depends how you look at these sorts of races. If you look at the race uh, in those kind of terms where if you ran this again, uh, sort of on a different course. These same horses faced each other again another day there and the form was reversed. It could easily be. It makes the betting very open, very interesting. And you just have to take a different approach to it rather than seeing it as sort of the be-all of end-all of the six furlong slash five furlong sprinters. Make a challenge would go into the winner's enclosure for Dennis Hogan later in the day uh, over five and a half furlongs. He has mentioned the flying five now for Skeptical as a possible, but you'd like to think that he would rock up to the Nunthorpe. Um, if we move forward to Sunday, Pinatubu wins. Now, there's a debate about whether or not I now have to pay the 50 euro to charity in the Jane Mangan bed. I need clarification if I managed to hold firm and said he will not win a group one over a mile or did I give up 
in which case Jane has has uh, won and I will happily pay that money to charity. But I need to get that verified. Uh, Pinatubu beats Lupe Fernandez and uh, Marlatu live on Sky Sports Racing in the 325, the pre-Jean Pratt. Uh, Barry, I'd have been really, really disappointed if he couldn't win this. Yeah, and I would have been as well. And he duly obliged. He did what his odds suggested he do as well. There was plenty of money for him at the finish. I think he's returned six to four on or six to ten in France. Uh, he did what what you'd expect him to do. Drawn four. Uh, I think Lupi Fernandez was drawn in eleven. He was a forty to one chance in against them, but you know he did give him a bit of a. He did give him plenty to think about in the in the closing stages. But I think it was a below par grade one and. He didn't pull up any trees for my money, Pinatubo. I would agree. There will be some who will say, what do you want? He's won six as a juvenile. He's been third in the Guineas, second in the St. James's Palace Stakes, and now he's won yeah. a group one. Is that not enough? But No, I suppose I want them to go and win by five or six lengths, you know, and really stamp his authority, drop him back in trip. That 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 That's what he wanted. I, it, it's not necessarily that he needed to drop back in trip, but I, I would have liked to see him stamp his authority on it a little bit more significantly than beating a 40 to 1 chance in, in Lupe Fernandez and a 68 to 1 chance in the third horse, Maltro. Yeah, and a horse that he beat very comfortably at Ascot. He beat Lupe Fernandez by three and a quarter lengths at Ascot last year. He stuffed him uh, at Goodwood as well. But Lope Fernandez has closed the gap. That rating of 128 looks good, Kate, but he is not a 128 horse now. And that's the standard with which you have to rate him at. It might be harsh, but it doesn't matter who trains him. He comes into the season with the biggest rating since Celtic Swing way back in 19 dickety do second mention on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> therefore, you hold him to that rating, but he is not running to 128. Yeah, and potentially, as you say, I mean, we do this sort of uh, on a regular basis where we think that we've got a star and we do elevate them to a to a huge degree. And of, of course, he was a superstar last year. He absolutely was. He was so far ahead of them. But you just had to look at him physically to know how far ahead he was. And we all said it. We, we were all saying it all last season. Just look how he is built in comparison to these sort of, you know, these leggy Galileo bred Bally Doyle horses. And, um, and they were always going to close the gap in, in a sense, but it was sort of to what degree. But uh, yeah, I, I would be more, uh, maybe it's just because I'm just a huge fan of Pinatuba in general. And I was just so, so pleased that he managed to get this win that I was just, um, yeah, that I, I, I think it was a, it was a pretty fair performance, really. Admittedly, I don't think some of those in behind performed rather than Lopi Fernandez, uh, sort of ran up to the price that he was of 40 to one. I couldn't believe it when I saw that he, uh, when he finished up at 40 to one, because I gave him a right chance beforehand just for the each way play. And when I saw that and I didn't have a penny on him beforehand. Oh, no. I know, sickener, absolute sickener. Because we were all talking beforehand that we desperately wanted to see him dropping back to to six furlongs after the Irish 2000 guineas. And the speed that he possessed, and obviously at Ascot, it didn't really go to plan in the Commonwealth Cup as expected. But if you just took that race out of it, then he, gosh, he was sent off a huge price, really, considering for this race. But yeah, I just... Um, so happy for Pinatubo, brilliant again for racing, I think, and for the horse. And uh, following his run in the St. James's Palace, I actually put up a poll on Twitter to see where people wanted him to um, to go next. 
And the options I gave were, bearing in mind we were still in really tight lockdown at this point, um, so traveling to France still didn't look possible. So gave the options of the July Cup, the Sussex Stakes, or the Derby, just <laughs> for, for a nice broad range of distances more than anything. And uh, some people did vote for the Derby, fair play. And um, and then another option box, because that's obviously your limit for the Twitter poll. And some very knowledgeable people commented underneath saying the Prejean Pratt as long as France opened up its borders by then. And I tip my hat to those people who commented well done. as it just instantly looked perfect. Yeah, really well done to those to those people, all listeners to the show as well, they were commenting. And it just looked perfect, if feasible, as it was dropping back down from one mile to seven furlongs. It wasn't a huge knee-jerk reaction in dropping him back down to six furlongs to a sprinting trip, as it previously looked uh, an easier group one as well, this race in previous years. And as I said in the previous podcast, I I've been talking to a proper stride analysis who had told me, looking at Pinatubo's stride patterns, there was no way he should have been running over a mile. And he is very much a sprinter. And his stride patterns uh, showed that six furlongs would be his perfect trip. And it looked that way, um, was it yesterday? What day are we on? Yeah, yesterday even. <laughs> and uh, even, even over seven furlongs, they still didn't look like they were going fast enough for him. But he was able to use his turn of foot just to sift through the field from his position. And he's just so talented I think that he saw out the seven furlongs on more ability than wanting the distance so really impressive and I hate being critical of jockeys in general as everyone sort of knows of me and I don't mean this in any way that William Bjork has given Pinatubo a bad ride this season but I'd say he would likely say himself there are a few decisions he's made this season in the guineas of the St. James's Palace that he would take back or change given the chance again Probably getting stuck in traffic actually helped him there, actually in the pre-Jean Pratt the other day. Just helped him to get breathers in, I think, and not making too much use of him too soon. So he was able to see out the trip really well. And if he had got his momentum stopped, obviously that would have been a different scenario, but he didn't. And he just has such a fantastic turn of foot that when the gaps came, he was able to slot into them in an instant. And I would love to see him over six furlongs this summer. And I think we're likely to get it too with, Obviously, the Sprint Cup, British Champions, Sprint Stakes, which, to be honest, I don't think it would matter all that much if the ground didn't come up good for British Champions Day. And he, because, you know, he obviously won the Dewhurst and soft. And yes, the uh, the ground did blunt his speed that day. And that's why Arizona could get within two lengths of him. But of course, that was over seven. And if the ground did come up testing enough, as it very often does for the Sprint Stakes, on the already testing Ascot home stretch, then this could potentially play into his hands enough to compensate for the lack of decent ground that sees his turn of foot to best effect. So he'd be able to deal with the conditions just as well as anybody else, at least anyway. So it'll be interesting to see what where he goes. Very interesting to see where he goes. I, I was looking forward to a Sussex Stakes with Pinatubu. That's not going to happen now. They've ruled that out. Um, which actually, Barry, just on a side note, I'm not sure if you have the odds in front of you. Sorry to throw you under the bus, but that then means um, Palace Pier is not going to run either. So John Gosling has ruled him out. So two of the big guns are gone. So you're now left with Siskin Mohather, who we'll touch on in a few minutes, and Circus Maximus. Um, I presume Siskin is a very, very short price now, Barry. Six to four favourite image. Mm. Yeah, Mahat there. <laughs> we'll touch on him later on, but we, we went nine to two from eight. Mahat there following his win and he's into three to one now. So further support for him. And also you've got to take into account that um, Pinatubo is a likely non-runner in this race. 11 to two Circus Maximus. Nezef comes into it as well. Um, 14 to one. 
eight to one from fourteen to one. Al Suhail, another winner uh, on the July course over the course of the weekend. Uh, eight to one chance we introduced him at. He's eight to ten to one now. We, that's looking to be like a race for the ages, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it's just a shame that we're not going to have Pinatubu and Palace Pier rock up there because it was going to be that was what we were talking about. But from what Kate has said, and Kate, you said this on the podcast before, and also thank you to the listeners who were uh, engaging with you. Great minds think alike uh, on the tweet machine about going for the Prejean Pratt. But based on the stride analysis and, and how he runs in the Guineas in the St. James's Palace Stakes and yesterday, there's this explosive turn of foot, but it doesn't. he doesn't sustain it. So I would like to see him drop back to sprint distances, but we don't really know what they're gonna do. They're, they're talking about a return to France for the Prix de Moulin. Uh, if they do that, you would be thinking Breeders' Cup Mile, but would you like to see them chance sprinting with him? No, I don't think so. I don't. I, I think he, get, he gets a mile. I don't think there's an issue there. I think if, as Kate said, if Willem Buick had it the ride again, he might ride differently. The, 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 definitely the Ascot race and maybe the, the Guineas also. Um, I think you'll see him run over a mile again. There's so few opportunities for them at seven furlongs as well. What's the next one? The, the mm. Prefoye? Prefoye, yeah. The Prefoyette. Yeah. Foray, yeah. Um, on Arc Weekend. So I, I, I don't think a Shamadal wants to be dropping back to six furlongs, to tell you the truth, no. What would you do, Kate? Would you go sprinting? Yeah, I would. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's what that's what I want to see him over six. But I just don't think the other day they they were going quick enough for him over seven. So, um, I mean, yeah, I, no, I do agree. I don't. I don't think he didn't get a mile, but just to see him at his optimum, I think, and especially as I say, speaking to the stride analysis, um, that I think he is a sprinter. I mean, he's such a quick, daisy cutting stride. Even watching him again going down to the start there the other day, he's such a quick, neat little horse. And uh, and just over those kind of distances, I I mean, they are determined for a mile, aren't they? They yeah. really are determined. <laughs> but yeah, if he was if he was mine though, God only, then yeah, I would want to see him over six. I mean, look, if we owned him, we'd love him. We would be absolutely delighted and we'd be counting the money already because this horse is going to make an absolute fortune, at least in his first few years as a stallion. Uh, Shamadal tragically is no longer with us. He has earned his place at stud. But when yeah, but the does he not have to win? Does he not have to win a Grade One at a mile to do that? I'd imagine he's given the fact that he was such a superstar juvenile that they will be queuing up to get him. Mm, They'll be queuing so up sure. for him, Barry. Um, his fee is going to so be. Sure. You don't think so? I'm not so sure. No, no. I think he has to win a Grade One at a mile for him to be a really attractive proposition as a stallion. I think there's such an emphasis on speed now that people will I go. I won't be sending him. any of my mares to him anyway. None of the Barry Barry or mares are going to be heading to Pinatubu. You're not getting <laughs> my business, Sheikh Mohammed. Not a hope. <laughs> if I had any, and <laughs> I think he definitely, as a commercial prospect, he would need to win a mile uh, grade one and uh, maybe two. Which is I don't probably think it's enough that he was such an outstanding two year old. I think is, that's that's. Uh, I don't think that carries much weight in terms of. It'd be different if he if he had have picked up an injury or something, and we didn't see him as a three year old. And what could have been? Well, then his first couple of seasons as a stallion would have been. I'm sure his book would have been full. But you know, a lot of people consider him that he hasn't really gone on to scale the dizzy heights that he promised as a two year old uh, yet. But he definitely needs to win over a mile and, and maybe further. And to, there is. Uh, 
there's a big focus as well uh, from some breeders that there is too much emphasis on speed, that it's become too focused on on fast horses, precocious horses, and then they're falling off then as, as they go into training. So it, look, it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. I th- Does anybody breed a horse that like to win, like specifically to win a July Cup or? Hmm. Nah. Do they? Nah. Nah. <laughs> I suppose you know, they just if, kind of fall into it, don't they? Some of these horses, it's like, oh, he doesn't get a mile, I'll drop him back. It depends on the you type know? of horse, isn't it? Like Oasis Dream was a sprinter and he was a proper sprinter. Um, and Schwazir, who he beat, was a proper sprinter as well. But Schwazir was a, an Australian yeah, horse. An Australian, yeah, they, they, yeah, they tend they, to they be. They might breed him for it. I don't think over here a lot of the time, I think it, it just happens more by fault than design. Yeah. US, US Navy flag would be a good example. He didn't quite get the miles, so they dropped him back in trip and then said, thanks very much. We'll take that July Cup. Now we're retired. Uh, Kate? Sorry. Yeah, no, just to, just to pick up an earlier point that Barry was just saying about um, your, your opinion on Shamadals, just uh, not to drop back or would you, so what, what kind of distance would you sort of say you'd like your Shamadals over, over, over a mile would that be? Ideally, yeah. Well, like from like, well, I suppose that, that like Earth likes a Shamadal as well. I think last year, the two-year-olds, they had a rake of good two-year-olds, didn't they, um, mm. Godolphin? And they were all Shamadals. Um, I, I suppose when you look at like a lot of his progeny are seem to be six and seven furlong horses, especially the, the younger ones. Um, I just... Obviously, Earth Light, Scardu, who disappointed the weekend. I think he's a Shamadal as well. I would just, I don't think there's any issue with Pinatubo over a mile. I just think that William Buick wasn't wasn't as good on him maybe as he could have been in two of his races. See, my view is that the mile stretches him. He is a very, very high-class racehorse, but if you try to get eight furlongs, he's not able to sustain his class, and so the rivals are able to beat him. So the likes of Palace Pier and Wichita, you level the playing field over eight. But if you're racing over seven or six, I think he'd be a weapon. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that. I just think, um, like you said, I, I still don't think he did anything really to disappoint. As uh, myself and Barry have both said, just sort of about a few decisions maybe that William Buick has made in the Guineas, making a lot of Pinatubo very early on. And I think he did very well. And Wichita did very well to finish where they did. And I think that given different rides to Cameco, that one could be reversed, at least with Wichita anyway, um, with that race. And also the fact he had to go twice in the St. James's Palace, he had to quicken up twice which you need uh, basically the freak levels he was last year against the rest of the two-year-olds to have been able to sustain that to make that work. And obviously we know that gap has been closed. So just think uh, a couple of those, yeah, a couple of those sort of decisions weren't hundred percent, but yeah, no, I was just interested to hear about the Shamadal because yeah, that, that was just the first name that popped into my head straight away. It was Earthlight there and sort of thinking, just wanted to pick Barry's brains over whether he'd like to see him up in trip or whether he thinks he's a, he was a, a proper six furlong proposition. Well, if that wouldn't take long picking my brains, Kate. <laughs> do not do yourself down. There's a reason you're the Don. There's a reason very you're the Don, my man. <laughs> um, uh, in terms of opposition, if you are going to be disappointed about horses, Lope Fernandez has taken a, a big step forward. Um, he'd already run a fine race in the Irish 2000 Guineas, but Arizona. Ooh, now there's a horse who hasn't trained on. It's gone horribly wrong mm-hmm. with him, Barry. Yeah, it really has, hasn't it? You know, he's, I don't, I don't know. Where, where do you go with him now? Like, what, he finished seventh 
He was Ryan Moore's pick in the race as well. Yep. You know, he's disappointed in Ascot. He's disappointed in Newmarket where he finished more nearer to last than first. You know, you have to go back to, I suppose, I think the, the last race he won was probably the Coventry, wasn't it? Yeah, it was actually, yeah. Yeah. Jesus, that's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and, and he'd shown, like to be, to the horse's credit, he had shown decent form uh, and he, you know, he'd given Pinatubu a proper run in, in the Dewhurst, but it just hasn't happened. Uh, he, he will have a place at stud as well, no doubt. Whether it will be Ashford stud in Kentucky for Coolmore or somebody else is another matter, yeah, but he, he's not a, a three-year-old on the basis of what we've seen so far anyway. No. And he's a no-name never. I, I don't know. He's, yeah. I'm sure they they have more attractive stallion prospects than mm. him this year. I would think so. How bad, how slow was that drone that couldn't keep up with them at Bally Doyle? <laughs> His batteries <laughs> must have been only on 10%. <laughs> it must have been low battery, Kate. You're right. It must have been low battery. Yeah. Uh, Surprised we didn't see him in the July Cup. <laughs> well, that, that's what I thought was going to be his race. Either him or Monarch of Egypt, I thought, would, would rock up there or the pre Don't mention the war, Monarch of Egypt. Well, last night. Should, we, should we touch on that? So last night he, he ran in Dundalk instead. So he was entered over six furlongs for the July Cup. Uh, when I say entered, all British racing is, is five-day entries now, so you can pretty much rock up to whatever you want for this season. But they were talking about it. Um, they were also talking about the Prejean Parade. I thought they were going to go there. Instead, he rocks up to Dundalk over 10 furlongs. And uh, I, I don't know what the thought process was there, but it was his stablemate and uh, the regally bred Nobel Prize, who is a full brother to the greatest horse of all time, Highland Reel, uh, who ends up winning over a trip that will suit him. A monarch of Egypt was falling out the back of the Tellyberry. Yeah, it was a weird one, wasn't it? And and he didn't he, like. I think he went off. He had a Betfair SP of two point one one eleven to ten. So like he he was well punted. But having said that, so was the winner, well punted Nobel Prize. Killian Hennessy in the plate there, which was a uh, uh, raised a few eyebrows. It did with me anyway, seeing him um, in Ballydoyle. Obviously, a very capable jockey. Um, hit a high of of thirteen to two in running Nobel Prize. But yeah, uh, really disappointing monarch of Egypt. And you know, I thought he was going to build on the promise he showed at uh, at Ascot when he finished second, albeit over seven furlongs. I was surprised, like you, that they. Uh, that they upped him in trip. But when you go through all his form, he hasn't won since he won his maiden in Nice, mm-hmm. which was the first race of the flat season in 2019. It's the 13th of April. And he did pick up a bit of an injury after that, which ruled him out of Ascot. Because there was talk that this was their Coventry cult at the time. That's right. And I'm just not sure whether he's actually ever fully recovered from whatever that injury was because he hasn't managed to win a race in what, six, seven um, tries since. So he's, uh, by and large, he's been very disappointing, I think it has to be said. From memory, didn't they back him for the Phoenix? Weren't they punting him against Siskin to turn the form around? Uh, I think they were, you know. I think you're right. Um, I'll try and look the that ground up. came up heavy that day, did it? Oh, now, now you're talking. Uh Hang on. I think you're right about that. I think yeah, that, and he might actually, just let me get it up here. Actually, just give me Yeah, he went off six to four. So they were backing off. him against Siskin. He Siskin's. went off six to four. Siskin went off 11 to 10. And he hit a low of 1.60 in running, six to four on in running that day. Oh, oh dearie me. Yeah. No, yeah, so he has. He's been very, very disappointing. And you'd want to have some constitution out to back him next time out over any trip. 
Funnily enough, now I didn't back him yesterday, and I actually really fancied Nobel Prize, who was 10s beforehand? I think he was 10s in the morning anyway. Um, and I, I'm sorry, that's horrible after something to say, but I couldn't understand what they were doing with him over 10 furlongs. I just didn't see him suiting the trip and Nobel Prize dropping back from the Chester Vaz to this trip I just thought was suiting him better. I did hear from somebody well-connected that Monarch of Egypt was going to go for the Kentucky Derby. Don't all laugh at once. And <laughs> and maybe that's why they ran him in that race yesterday. Yes, I think you're right, because I did hear that as well. And was that one of the races? Was that a, not a win in your aim, but was that the road to Kentucky? I think it was because Laura King was tweeting, well, we won't see any of those in the Kentucky Derby. So I imagine it was. No, someone did mention that to me yesterday as well, that he was potentially, because the the way the Kentucky Derby is later in the year now, that he was a potential runner in that. But Mm. yeah, and the owners would want that. And he's an American Faro cult as well. So he's bred bred for that dirt. um, And obviously they're American owners. But uh, no, I can't see that happening. I, I can't see him taking up that engagement, but I'll, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't give up on him over seven because he, he moved so well at Ascot that I wouldn't be surprised if no, he wins the race. No, that's called Falling off a cliff? Cliff horse. Cliff horse, yeah. That's your cliff horse, <laughs> yeah. your guilty pleasure. But the thing is, though, if we get a decent price about him, like if he's even money, run for the hills, Ma Barker. Uh, don't go near him. But if, if he's a double-figure price or a decent price, I, I reckon oh, we'll... what trip? Like I'd want him over seven furlongs, maximum mile. I'd actually love to see him over six. Uh, I'd be the other side of that bet. There's the bet for exchange in a couple of words. You'll be the backer and I'll be the layer all day long. Done. Done and done. Let's try and get a market up on that and the two of us can, can meet each other there. Oh, there'll be a market on it next time he races. I have no doubt about it, but I, I don't think he'll ever go off evens. I'll be, on the, I'll be on the blue side. I'll be getting stuck in as much as I can while Barry's on the pink side. Uh, Killian Hennessy has only had two rides in the last two weeks. Nobel Prize and uh, fourth for Mrs. K Brown on My Giddy Aunt Rose. Uh, very briefly, Kate, what did you make of Monarch of Egypt and for that matter, Nobel Prize, who we haven't even really <laughs> talked about yet? <laughs> and I think, yeah, hopefully we've covered enough of Monarch of Egypt that I don't have to really go into thoughts because to be honest with you, I, yeah, I, I try and always take the positive light on many horses and many performances. But yeah, as you can see, it, it wasn't so much throwing darts just into the dark with him because as you say you can see the plan there to go to the Kentucky Derby with him being an American pharaoh and as you say with the owners as well but yeah that has not worked nope. <laughs> so definitely not and um, yeah but noble prize uh, just to be to be nice about one that I mean it was always going to be an interesting and a different renewal to be fair of the Ballysacks from Leopardstown to Dundalk three months later so it basically wasn't really the same race at all in any sense but yeah noble prize just a, he's a lovely striking looking horse isn't he he's a, he's a proper looker and he was given a really good ride as well by Killian Hennessy and fair play to these lads for making the most of these opportunities that they're being given whilst there's all of a quarantining, lockdowning, stick bans, everything else going on. So, um, yeah, Nobel Prize, obviously the plan was to make the running, uh, to make the most of his stamina. And um, and he, he seemed to time it just really, really well. And he still had a four-length advantage over the rest of the field three furlongs out and obviously only just held on by a nose from indicative vote at the line. And... Um, 
yeah, and I just I just think he gave him a really enterprising ride. Uh, kept an eyes in front, stuck, stuck to instructions, which is all you can do. And yeah, he's he's uh, he's run out a, a decent enough winner in the end. Obviously, the plan was potentially to uh, to try and set it up as well as possible for Monica of Egypt. But yeah, he's um, yeah, just a good just a good ride. <laughs> a good ride. Pop quiz, hot shots. How many times, including yesterday, has Aidan O'Brien won the Bally Sack Stakes in the last ten years? Barry Orr. Don't Google it, Barry. No, sorry, I was on mute. Uh, I'm going to say eight or nine. Kate. In the last 10 years? Yeah. uh, I will go... uh, So Barry's gone eight and nine. (laughs) I'm just covering all the bases, Kate. Covering all of it. I'll go seven. It could be 10, actually. It could have won all of them. I don't remember unless... Did Dermot Weld win one? I'd have said... I would have honestly said eight as well as Barry. Kate, you're going for... Every year. Every year. You're going for all of them. Four. Oh. <laughs> yeah. The, underwhelming then. Uh, Jim Bulger won it twice in a row, 2011 and 2012, with Vampire and Light Heavy. Uh, then Aiden won it with Battle of Marengo. Didn't win it again till 2018 with Nelson, Broom, and then Nobel Prize. It was Dermot Weld, <laughs> Ken Condon, and Joseph O'Brien who respectively stepped into the winner's enclosure. So hasn't been quite the stranglehold over that race that Aiden has enjoyed in the past. Yeah, but he's won it the last three years, hasn't he? He has indeed. Yeah, that was his third in a row. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He's won ten of them in total anyway. Oh, definitely. Uh, Sure, I mean, Mm. back in the Galileo High Chaparral days, they used to... Cupid won it in in 1999 for the first time. Aiden O'Brien. Nicely done. he won it with Galileo High Chaparral. Yates? Bellastrini Yates. Mm. Mm-hmm. Four years into trot. Fame and Glory did it in 2009. Battle of Marengo in 2013. There's an entire podcast that could be done on Balestrini's victory in that race. Do you remember that race, Barry? No. Uh, Tom Queeley was on board. He was a young jockey riding for Aiden O'Brien at the time. He was told to go out and make all the running and set it up for Alberto Giocometti. And Alamshar was in behind. And Johnny Murta and Mick Canan were eyeballing each other and looking at each other. And then they looked up and saw Balestrini was about 10 lengths clear and they couldn't get him. Um, there was a huge Ferrari after that. It was a fascinating race. If you can see it, if it's on YouTube, check it out. It's a, it's a bonkers God race. God bless your recollection, Emma Kennedy. When it comes yeah. to, when it comes <laughs> to horse racing. It's 17 years ago. 17, when it comes to horse racing, I, I've got a pretty decent memory. When it comes to education, French, Gone. All of it's gone. Uh, the Summer Mile at Ascot, which was live on Sky Sports Racing, went to Mahathar. Uh, this was a, a confidence selection for Rory DeLarge. And um, to be fair, he was the class act of the race if he could bounce back to form, Barry. And he certainly did for Marcus Dragoni. Yeah, he really did. He's, um, you know, he went off two to one favour, 3.3 on the Betfair SP. He had a high of 3.6 in running, which is just a little over five to two. But, he he was he was quite unlucky, obviously in the Queen Anne, um, and sometimes those fast finishers people overbet them. But mm. they bet him like he was a, he was a good thing, and he won accordingly. He looked really really impressive. He's one of the best older older horses over a mile, I'd say, around at the moment. And um, like I said, we went nine to two from eight on the sports book off the back of that win for the Sussex Stakes, and we got filled in again at the nine to two, and he's a three to one chance now. So uh, himself and Seskin, obviously he'd be giving weight to Seskin as a three-year-old, but that's going to be an absolute cracking race. And he looks at the real deal now over a mile. 
and, the, and his his trainer has has come out and said he's he thinks he's the best he's had over that trip. So it's been a okay. while, I suppose, since Marcus Treganning had a a really top notch grade one performer. But this guy looks it. I was going to be mm. very cruel and say, you know, well, Marcus Treganning hasn't had a good horse for a while, but then and then I went <laughs> and did it anyway. Uh, also, as the king of mispronouncing <laughs> names, what's the name of Geraldine's horse, Barry? Sheshkin. Siskin. Siskin. <clears throat> Again, I can say nothing because I am the king of mispronunciations, but still. Listen, I, I don't like all this snobbery and racing about mispronunciations. It's, it really well said, Barry. My head in. Well the said. Derby, the Derby, the Derby. Ask uh, Cato Star, Cato Star. Cato Star. Tomatoes, tomatoes. <laughs> exactly. Ask like, it's, it's a barrier to entry for a lot of people as well. It is. It. Ask it. Ask it. You have to get the ish in there. No, get, out, get out of it. Get out of it. It um, puts a lot of people off race. It really does. It's pompous and there's Dennis no place Diamond, for it. Dennis Diamond. Yeah, come on, man. I got pulled up on that one by a friend. Jim Delaney, I'm pointing at you now. He he, he was having a go at me because uh, you correcting the pronunciation of Tom Bull and you couldn't pronounce it yourself. Oh, I'm heading off to my shame. Uh, Mahathir, uh, so you've heard Kate from Barry. He's been well-backed. It makes sense, but is it a little bit of recency bias? Because when you factor in Siskin is going to be getting the, the weight allowance, uh, I'd be disappointed if Siskin doesn't win the Sussex Stakes against this fella. Mm, ditto. Yeah, I, I agree totally. I just, I think it would have it would have had to have taken an absolute freak of nature really to come out and put me off Siskin in general, and especially with the weight allowance as well that he's going to be receiving. But yeah, Mahatha... <laughs> I mean, admittedly, he's he's adding another good dimension to this race after he, after getting his just deserves for that torrid time in the Queen Anne, and I'm happy that Patience obviously being rewarded for Jim Crowley um, uh, as well because he didn't give him a hard time with it that day either. So um, so and he had just gave him a really good experience to take forwards as well into the summer mile, and yeah, he was um, he he just never quite sort of was able to get into it at all in the Queen Anne. The gaps were never opened anywhere. He had just nowhere to go at all. And yeah, the damage was done that day with a tactical choice that just made, that that was made for him that day because he's obviously been quite a headstrong horse previously in his career. So I thought going into the summer mile, it was going to be interesting to see the way they were likely to ride him following the Queen Anne because if they dropped him out again to settle him, uh, then then they, he may well have run into trouble yet again. And But if they were going to go forward with him and lightly track Marie's diamond up with the pace to give him a clear passage, then there was obviously the potential of him overexerting himself. And then, yeah, they only obviously came to the summer mile because of a disappointment at Royal Ascot. And they definitely were making sure he didn't run into any trouble this day, having him just one off the rail, sat in behind the pace where he settled well enough and had the box seat. Obviously, you very often see Frankie DeSori in Ascot to be able to come around the field once the horses had swung into the home straight on the round course. So Mahath had no excuses. And we got to see the cut above. We always knew he was going to be going into the race and the cutaway obviously helped as well just to kind of clear out the runners to fan across the track and then there wasn't much ground to make up for those horses sitting in behind the front runners and the main plan was just clearly to make sure there were no hard luck stories for this horse and just to give him the perfect platform to show how good he was and plus he looked a very different horse of a horse we saw say in last year's QE2 who was just too free all the tactics were based around getting him tucked in and settled and even without an ideal cover from the break in this race he still managed to switch off and he is obviously a group group one horse in the making but as we knew he was a solid group two horse coming into this race and 
with that performance, he obviously looks a cut above the group twos there. And as you say, the Sussex Stakes would very much be on the cards for him now because he has so much tactical speed in a race like that, which clearly would work well. Um, but for him, I think that he would look an ideal candidate for the Breeders' Cup mile too because I just think he's got the gears. He travels through his races so well. He's a neat horse who can take the tight bends too. And his turn of foot when Dan O'Neill asked him to extend was just really impressive. And as you say, it's just great for Marcus Trisconning. Trisconning. I'm thinking of Marcus Triscothic then. I almost said that there's Speaking of mispronunciations. <laughs> you know, if you're the king, I am I am the up and coming apprentice. The queen! <laughs> With, I'm losing my claim per podcast. And uh, I was thinking of a cricket. I was going to say a cricket then. Sorry, Marcus Tregoning too, after his, uh, obviously the last group one horse was Sir Percy. So to have another group one, potential group one horse and this lad is obviously just great for the yard. But yeah, I wouldn't be fancying him to overturn Siskin. Was he 2006? Is that when he won the Derby? Percy, something like that. I think something, it was, you know. Something a while ago. Jeez, that's a long time between drinks. Yeah, in, I, in did, I, I, did, I did look it up to see what he had had in the meantime. And yeah, there was a few group group two and three performers, obviously, but not the group one standout. Um, what's your take on this division now, uh, Barry? The, particularly when you're looking at the, the Sussex stakes. Yeah, I think that he's obviously the older horse and he's the best of the older horses by the look of it. On Well, Circus Maximus, I suppose, is in there as well. Um, whether he goes to Sussex Stakes or not remains to be seen. But I think uh, Siskin and himself are going to head the market for the Sussex Stakes and uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting contest. I would side with Siskin, Barry. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> Um, I'm not so sure. Ooh. I'm not so sure. Ooh. Would you, do you think Circus Maximus is being a little bit overlooked? I did until Terrabellum let that form down the other day. Mm. Yeah, that's not a bad shout. Kate? I was very disappointed with her run. Kate, for you? For the Sussex? Mm-hmm. Oh, Siskin. I, I don't, I know obviously that price is very slim, but I think it reflects his chances pretty accurately. I'd yeah, li- I, d- I can't see past him. I'd like to think that he'll drift on the day that will get bigger mm-hmm. on, on the bet for exchange. Uh, speaking of milers, the foul mistakes, which Barry has alluded to, uh, the good run continues for Hamdan al-Maktoum. Uh, Nazif, John Gosden was taken aback that Nazif was capable of beating Terabellum. Uh, and as you said, Barry, disappointing. She was very, very short. And I suspect there was blood in the water after this on the bet for exchange. Yeah, and traded as at a low of 1.14 in running 7-1 to one on, would you believe? Oh. She's returned an even money chance of the Beffer Exchange at, at 2.0. Uh, could only finish third. Very For my money, I thought I was very disappointed with her. Travelled well. Um, and just didn't find a whole lot when she was headed. Uh, I suppose she might need a bit of a break now. She's had a couple of uh, three pretty uh, three hard races in, in succession uh, Billingston Brook uh, there's an absolute warrior princess she is you know she always run, runs her race traded odds on as well would you believe 1.606-4 on but the winner boy, uh, very impressive and it's nice when they surprise uh, John Gosson like that as well that's always a good sign hit a high of 13.5 in running just uh, just a 12 to 1 chance but she got a quote as well for the Sussex Stakes she was a uh, she was 14 to 1, and we cut her into 8 to 1 off the back of that. So uh, she's another interesting contender for that race, should they choose to go there with her. She just keeps running her races. She's had 
24 starts in all now, seven wins and £747,000 in prize money. And it continues to grow for Bilston Brook. She's a real warrior. Kate, what was your take on the Falmouth Stakes this year? Yeah, I agree with you, Emma. I thought it was interesting afterwards that John Gosden came out and said that he thought Tara Bellin would beat Nazif from what he from what he knew of both of them at home. And that he didn't think Tara Bellin ran her race at all after seemingly having the race won. And... Uh, but then obviously didn't finish off the race in the way you would have expected. So I thought that was um, an interesting note to take forward with that failing, the fact that Connections didn't think she did run her race. But yeah, the unknown with Nazif was the ground conditions as she had done all of her racing on good or quicker ground or on the all weather. But with the rain coming before the, before the off, it turned the ground from sticky, tacky ground to nice, soft ground, making it easier for horses to contend with. And with no obvious front runners in the race, obviously it was left to Terra Bellum just to make her way out in front. And it looked as though when Frankie asked her to quicken, she was going to go on and win. But even with the others under pressure and behind, she just never gained any further advantage on the field. And Nazif was just always closing then and really knuckled down to the task well. And just... Uh, saw of her which we saw of her in the um, Duke of Cambridge as well and biggest win of her career obviously as a four-year-old and she's just a super likable attitude and the pre-Rothschild looks the next obvious place to go with Nazif I thought now over one mile at Deauville to try and get another group one on her CV and uh, it was just a great training performance finish off her year last season as a handicapper but is now a group one winner with six consecutive wins and especially because of Sheikh Hamdan that he doesn't normally keep his four-year-old fillies in training either so it was great to see him being rewarded for keeping her in training as a four-year-old so I was pleased for that I say Billisenbrook another cracking run from her she's always an underdog always overlooked mm. uh, or generally overlooked she's just a hero of a mare who's just the perfect yardstick for these types of races to boost the form when giving her running as she does more often than not. And I thought it was interesting when um, I was listening to the preview podcast and what Rory was saying sort of about Terra Bell and that about See the Stars. And, um, and obviously I know in her kind of write up a preview that it was sort of saying her best form was on soft or slower ground. But actually when you look into the stats behind See the Stars is that they actually prefer quicker ground, generally speaking. And, um, yeah, and, and that John Gosler said that himself, that she preferred the quicker ground than the softer ground she was running on in France last year. So the ground definitely went against her in this. And yeah, so I so I would also put that down to a, a bit of a, a a less firing performance for her. And one master, obviously back and forth, also helped the form have a solid look to it as well with conditions generally in her favour, albeit that it was a furlong further than she generally wants and it wasn't at Longchamp. But apart from that, she gave a form a nice solid boost too. She will be one to be reckoned with back over her favourite trip back at Paris Longchamp as well. Mm. Of course, Pierre Charles Boudot uh, coming over for the ride and you're absolutely spot on, the, the foray. Will we get to see Pinatubu rock up in that race? Could change the complexion of it uh, if that's the case. We'll have to wait and see how all that plays out. Uh, the good run continued for Hamdan Al Maktoum, but a little bit earlier, 9th of July, uh, we spin back to on Thursday, uh, Alassi beat Dawn Rising, who Rory was very bullish about. Um, probably a ledger trial. Is Al Assi a horse who has been backed for the St. Ledger, Barry, on the back of this victory in the Bahrain Trophy? Uh, no, not really. I think we introduced him at eight to one into that market. And it's a, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of, uh, a lot of live contenders for that at the moment for the, um, for the St. Ledger. But he, I thought he was impressive enough. Now I didn't think he did anything wrong. He looks like a horse that's definitely going in the right direction. And, 
uh, I think that's quite a competitive anti-post market, the, the St. Ledger, though. Like, you've San Diego in there, you've Serpentines quoted in it, Dawn Patrol, English King, Calaf, uh, Sass, you know, Tiger Moth in there as well, Mogul. So there's a whole host of horses in there. There's a lot of water to go under the bridge before we start uh, thinking about the Ledger. But, yeah, I'll say did nothing wrong. Nice horse, heading in the right direction, but I wouldn't be having any anti-post bets on him at this stage for a St. Ledger. Yeah, I wouldn't either. That is going to be a, a proper race, by the way. And it's going to be fascinating to see what they do. Has there been any movement on Serpentine for this race? Because if he was to rock in, Barry, that would change the complexion of a little bit. He's a 92 chance, Emma, and I think that's probably because he's a doubtful participant in this. Um, I'd say if anything was going to, any of their top horses were, were to go to that, well, top horses, San Diego probably, or Santiago, sorry, sorry, who heads the market at the moment. He's he's a likely runner in the race, isn't he? Yeah. Tiger Mott, who looks like he wants a trip after the Irish Derby, he's probably another likely runner. Yeah, you could definitely see the two of them lining up, and um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Serpentine, uh, to say the least. But Kate, your take on Alassi. Uh, the one thing you can say is that Aidan O'Brien's got a very good grip on things now because he'll have a line through Don Rising. But we'll, we'll deal with Alassi. Uh, this was a smart performance, and William Haggis holds him in high regard. Yeah, it was, as you say. He needed to uh, to show it sort of on a bigger stage and step up again. And he's done exactly that on the back of that really impressive win in the novice at Newmarket there back on the 18th of June over the 1-4. I mean, what was it? A 10-length win, I think he ran out by that day. And uh, and to go and back that up here in the Group 3 was, uh, was really impressive. But I would also agree with both of you that I... I just think I, w- I wouldn't be backing him just yet for the St. Ledger. Um, yeah, I'd, ha- I'd have a few in front of him before I would uh, be getting totally stuck into a uh, Al-Azi. In terms of the owner's championship, so I did reference that it's been a very good time for Hamdan El Maktoum. And in this shortened season, Godolphin are currently leading the money in the UK with 889,000. Hamdan El Maktoum is not far behind. He's on over 800,000 as well. I'm not entirely sure what the the rule is in terms of Coolmore because they're split currently on 451,000 for one of the ownership groups and the other ownership group is on 337,000. Now, if they were combined, things could change. But it's a realistic poss- possibility that Hamdan Al-Maktoum could be champion owner this year, Kate. Does, does anyone care? Yeah, seriously, does anyone care who top owners are? I don't even think Kilmore care. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that. We'll just move on, move on. Uh, does anybody give us stuff? Do, they have it? do you think they do? I doubt it. I doubt it. I know they have. They put the trophies up, but sure, I mean, they probably just do that because you're handed it, so fair enough. But like Unless there was some massive underdog, I don't think it sparks any interest uh, for anybody in the racing fraternity or the wider racing community who did. There, there was a time when it was, and it was probably when Godolphin and Coolmore were at loggerheads and there was a real war between the two, but no one cares anymore. Nobody gives a monkey. I, I have a bit of an interest in the flat, like, is it going to be JP or Jiggenstan? Well, who cares? Like, <laughs> Over jumps. Yeah. yeah. Or, two- sorry, uh, National Hunt Racing, yeah. yeah. Like, is it going to be JP or Jiggenstan in, 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 hmm. in Ireland? Is obviously, but uh, outside of that, I don't think anyone... Really cares. Moving on. Flat racing. Al Salel <laughs> is a horse that you <laughs> alluded to, uh, Barry, and he won very impressively, beating Mystery Power by six lengths for William Buick and Charlie Appleby. Yeah, he put that Guinea's run behind him well and truly. Uh, we introduced him at eight to one for the Sussex State 
stakes, but that's such a hot race now. He's he's since gone out to ten to one on the sports book. Um, yeah, he's got a chance in the race, but I think he mightn't just like he'd want to improve significantly again. I'm sure off the back of what he's already done in that run in the July course to uh, figure or uh, to give the main protagonists anything to worry about in the Sussex Stakes if if they go down that road with him. Kate, for you. Yeah, uh, obviously, Elsa Hale is a significant drop in class for him after, as Barry says, running pretty disappointingly in the Guineas when a lot of people fancied him over the other, other Godolphin runner, obviously, aside from Pinatubo and Military March. Uh, but he just finished nowhere and he definitely put that wrong to right again here with the easy win. Um in this listed race and he just traveled really well throughout. He was able to put the race to bed in a few strides when he was asked to quicken away by William Bjork. And with last year's superlative stakes winner, mystery power in second and Brophy guest just getting past near the line in third. But as Charlie Appleby said afterwards, that he obviously has his quirks and that's going to be the key to him going forwards as they know the family very well. And he's a bit of a hothead. So keeping a lid on him is essential. And he shows that he could be kept settled here and he likes soft conditions too, so the rain was always going to be in his favour too. And I don't think connections are keen to step him up to Group One Company anytime soon after this, though. And he looks likely to swerve. I thought the Sussex Stakes, at least from my reading in the aftermath. And apparently, William Buick said afterwards he's very much a miler. So I'd say we'll see him sticking to that trip for a while yet, and probably just see him out in something softer again next time out I think I think they're keen to try to keep a lid on him and sort of keep him almost under the cosh moving forwards for, for at least uh, for at least the foreseeable future Speaking of the superlative stakes this year's renewal again went to Godolphin Charlie Appleby and William Buick teaming up with Master of the Seas and he did it quite well uh, I suppose the money was all going to be about the Coolmore horse Hudson River because the uh, Galileo out of Mecca's Angel had been impressive on debut. There'd been a lot of talk about him, but Charlie Appleby has a pretty good record in this race. Barry, and he took it again. Yeah, he was, uh, this looked a really, really nice horse for sure. Master to see. Uh, really impressive. I loved the way he strided out when he was given the office and really put his head down, ran all the way to the line. Looks a really, really nice prospect. Um we went 25 to 1 of interestingly off the back of that. And um, I thought that was big myself. Now, Ed Chamberlain called it out on ITV as, as, as a big price. It was duly cut into 16 to 1, which he is now. Battleground heads that market for the 2,000 guineas. Um, he's only 13.5 uh, on the exchange anti-post market, but it's a very liquid market, as you could imagine, the 2021, 2000 guineas. But yeah, I really liked them there. A lot of people crab the superlative that very rarely a good horse comes out of it. I was just looking through there earlier and I think um, Dubawi, his, mm. is he a son of Dubawi? Yeah, he, he is, is. Yeah. Yeah. He won it back in the day. Yeah. He won it in 2004. In so it's uh, Quattro won it for the same outfit as well. So it's it's obviously a, a a race that that Godolphin like the targets. I know they're based in Newmarket as well, so it's their local track. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I he's a horse that I definitely want to be on the right side of going forward, Master to see. Uh, me too, Kate. And that sixteen to one sounds very interesting. Mm, definitely. Again, yeah, I was really impressed by this, really taken, say, another potential star by Dubawi. And I believe from the stats I found, it was his Dubawi's 185th stakes winner. And uh, from this performance, he could be adding to Dubawi's 42 group and grade one 
winners as well. So, yeah, just an easy winner. As you say, as Barry says, at Dubai, we won the superlative stakes himself. So, Godolphin Homebred, now unbeaten in two starts, defeating Devious Company um, in this race. And I love Devious Company as well. I remember after he won uh, at Haydock on his start before this race. And I always sort of, whenever I'm trying to analyze these races, I write like a little note to myself afterwards. And all I all I put was, he's cool. Just straight after he won at Haydock. <laughs> I'm he's sorry, cool. Bruce, he's cool. Yeah, there were two. I can't really remember who my other runner was, but there were two on that day. They both got a their cool <laughs> comment afterwards. Very, very in depth analysis that I give. Uh, yeah, but obviously he was upset in the stalls beforehand, though. Um, and uh, and there, there was sort of a bit of talk about that beforehand. But once he was out, he was every bit as straight and forward as you would have liked. Just just a strong looking horse as we often see from Godolphins with plenty enough pace to travel into the race nicely before really impressing powering away in the finish to run out an easy winner of the group two just his second start so it was really taking and as Nick Luck said post-race we've been waiting to see a real standout two-year-old and we've seen that there and I totally agree with that and as I said I think the form behind him I like the horse in behind him. I thought Devious Company ran really well uh, to be up with the pace, uh, just to be on the front end and told off challenges on his side of the track at least. Uh, to bag second place, tried really hard there, up in class for the race. And uh, yeah, and Seventh Kingdom, he rattled home down the standside rail. I think he'll come forward again from this experience. And I still don't think he looks the finished article yet. And he may even prove better over further too. So he was good. Uh, Ventura Tormenta, who was in behind there, traveled like the best horse in the race. Hasn't seen out the trip, so drop back down to six furlongs. Looks ideal for him next time out. So don't knock him too much for this performance, wherever he turns up next, providing it's down in trip, I think. Traded at a low of five to four in running. Yeah, travelled really, oh, really well. I, I think you're right there. Yeah, Kevin Blake bred, bred that one. He did. Did he? He did indeed, yeah. yeah. Oh, didn't even know that. That wasn't even a deliberate shout-out for, mm. <laughs> for him. Yeah, so that was good. Uh, Hudson River obviously just... Looked great beforehand, looked model professional beforehand, really well behaved, obviously wanted to take fours into next year, but just sort of, yeah, faded out of it pretty uh, tamely over there. But no, just a just a nice race. As you say, if people want to crab the superlative stakes, I dare them to crab this, because hopefully it might give us some more value going forward. Who was crabbing the race, Barry? No, just people, that commentators say that it's a long time since a, a genuine um 2000 guineas contender came out of the superlative. And if you look through it, uh, Emmett, it's actually right. There's, there, I don't, I can't remember the last 2000 guineas winner ran in this, uh, uh, had won the superlative. So mm. even the uh, advertise, um, it was a, uh, 2018 Roy Lytham last year. It's, uh, or sorry, no, um, that was the July stakes. They've won. Well, it's just when yeah, you I, don't, I can't remember a really good horse when I know Aidan O'Brien tends to win it with his early season two year olds but not horses that are genuine guineas horses for him I think Ivan Denisovic won it back in the day and he was you know he was decent but he wasn't uh, classic material um, Olympic Glory took this race and went on to Group 1 Glory so I, I wouldn't be dismissive of it at all and I think the, the 16s is very interesting uh, sad news about poor old Quarto 
who won this in 2018, he passed away in the last few days. And uh, That's right, yeah. I believe they were trying to get him back, but unfortunately, um, things just didn't go to plan for him. So uh, a terrible loss. We haven't seen him since he was a juvenile. So uh, sad, sad loss to racing. Um, tactical for the Queen backs up a Royal Ascot victory in the Tattersall's July stakes and, uh, and did so very, very impressively in the end. Uh, was she well backed, Perry? He uh, even. Yes, he was. He certainly was. Uh, I think he went off a Beffer SP of 3.82, which is just uh, just 11 to 4. Hit a high of, of 13 to 2 in running, would you believe? Um, was just trimmed from 33 into 25 on the sports book for the 2,000 guineas off the back of that. He's 18 in the exchange market, but again, it's a very illiquid market. Um, yeah, you got to you got to be impressed. He's got it done again, hasn't he? He, he looks a really, really nice type. Uh, I know it was a group two and six furlongs. I suppose the pre-morne probably next on, uh, on, uh, on the agenda for him, but he's definitely a grade one candidate uh, and... I'm sure he'd be he'd be taking in a grade one before the season's over, but nice horse, really nice horse. He definitely looks group one class to me uh, as well. And uh, I suspect that the Queen will be having some nice days out with this fella, Kate. Mm. It, it, I just really like this race in general. It was just, a, it was a great race for us to be able to compare the two-year-old form from Royal Ascot with Kadar, obviously finished second in the Coventry in here, as well as evidently the Windsor Castle winner and the second in the form obviously of Tactical and Yazaman also running in this as well. And Tactical, he's just got a really lovely temperament and he showed it here when the rain clouds opened when runners got down to a start. And for this Colt then to add to his Windsor Castle Stakes win was great, which we all thought was a win that could have been upgraded anyway as he did have to brave a gap in the early stages and then kept on really well in the finish to back up his debut effort in one of the hottest novices we've seen this season behind Eye of Heaven. And he just looks really laid back really straightforward type uh, who I hope we see going for the pre-morning. That's, that's, uh, as I hope, I'm glad that Barry said that first. That's where I hoped we were going to see him as it just will keep strengthening the potential lineup as it already looks such an exciting race. If all the ones we've kind of talked about as propositions for it do line up and, and we know he's ground versatile now too. So whatever the ground does, you'd have to be as confident with him as any as that he'll deal with whatever conditions are thrown up. And uh, he looks like he'll stay further, but for now as a two-year-old, just, to keep him at six furlongs looks uh, he looks special over it so why mix up that trip for now and again just a really impressive winner to have that turn of foot to launch him out of the pack to go and chase the two had broken loose one of those he had already faced him at Royal Ascot to run them down on a separate part of a track was a serious effort and I don't think William Buick even gave them that much of a hard time of it either and I also like the fact that the form has been backed up by Yasman again back in second and also the fact that Yasman looks very much a two-year-old as well being by Kodiak uh, so this has been his time to strike with him. And Tactical looks like he has more potential for next season even uh, and um, has been able to beat him twice. So it just gives you more confidence again in this horse's abilities. And then to have the other Royal Ascot second back and forth was another nod to this being a solid piece of form for Tactical. I liked it. And uh, I think that is an excellent breakdown. I hope that you are all taking notes and adding horses to your At The Races tracker because Kate Tracy's giving you gold, as is Barry, to be fair. Uh, the Duchess of Cambridge stakes. Uh, Hugh Taylor is involved with the runner-up here, Fev Rover. 
who looked to be in for Richard Fahey as a potential pacemaker. He was nearly having palpitations. Well done, Hugh, as uh, Fevrover gave Dandela a fantastic run for her money. Uh, backing up another superb performance from Royal Ascot, uh, being backed up with a victory here for Carl Burke. And uh, this time it is a, a filly in the winner's enclosure and she looks good, Barry. Yeah, yeah, she, we, I don't think she looked amazing now. What did she only win a half a length at the finish? She, yep. We left her unchanged at 16 to 1 on the sports book. So those guys weren't too impressed with her off the back of that. She's 4 to 1 for the, uh, 4 to 1 from 5 to 1 for the morning. Um, I don't know. She's a difficult one for me to assess. I wouldn't be mad about her. Uh, it looked a bit fluky, or well, the prices would have suggested it was a bit fluky in uh, in Ascot. Um, I wasn't overly impressed with her in what was a moderate enough race for the for for the grade uh, on the July course. So she's not one for me. Not one for Barry, but what about Kay Tracy? <laughs> mm, yeah, it it wasn't overly convincing. Uh, I, w- I want to say that it was just because um, obviously in the Albany he had Mother Earth back in third, so obviously I want to boost that form there. Kate Tracy's own horse, <laughs> my own own horse there, Mother Earth. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean we knew coming into the Duchess of Cambridge States that uh, she she looked useful. I thought in the Albany. Um, I think that obviously the ground probably exaggerated her winning margin that day by six lengths. But even so, the amount of time it took Ben Curtis to pull her up after line, I thought at the time, I thought she must be something pretty decent just after that race. And you felt you felt that she could stay further than six furlongs. And she looked to only be getting rolling at the end of the Albany. And we know there's plenty of stamina on her dam side to get much further than six furlongs too. So that looked to be her key asset going into the Duchess of Cambridge. Uh, the biggest concern many had for this race was that she was drawn in stool one, just like Rathbull Prize last year's winner. But there tends to be a bias against low numbers over this course and distance if coming up the middle of a track as they did, which, yeah, obviously, and they did look likely to beforehand with Halla 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 drawn in the middle and likely to set the pace that hadn't been factored into her price, though, I didn't think, hence why she was sent off the even-money favourite. Um, but the worry was that if she was going to even go into the stools to start with. She did prove difficult, more stubbornness than temper, but you would have been concerned if you had taken the even money price on her. And then, but she uh, she was then loaded, tracked a decent pace, set by the likely candidates, which you had hoped was going to be the case for a truly run race for Dandela. And then she really had to fight out the finish. But it, And again, Ben Curtis just had it timed pretty well to hold Nick Bradley's other runner in Feb Rover at bay as Ben Curtis said afterwards he was just trying to coax her home hands and heels but he could hear the other runners coming and he sort of alluded to the fact he was a bit lucky to have timed it with her on the line but again maybe uh, the pre-morning looks uh, a target for her after obviously raffle prize uh, won the Duchess of Cambridge last year and then was only narrowly denied by her flight in the pre-morning next time out so uh, yeah, you'd be hoping Dandala could go one better and if the ground did come up soft or um, even heavy last year because uh, she won't mind that as we saw at Ascot. And yeah, as I said, just it will be some lineup if she turns up as well. Tactical, what, Lando Parado, the Learjet, Campanelle as well. But yeah, I have to agree with Barry that I wouldn't be having her in front of Tactical, um, in front of Campanelle. If, uh, fair enough, I'll have her in front of Nando Parade. <laughs> uh, I thought it was interesting that Carl Burke was saying afterwards things hadn't gone smoothly with her. She'd had a temperature on the Monday, uh, so they had to scope her and they decided to roll the dice with her. But the, the 10 days leading up to the race hadn't been 
all plain sailing. And he was also adamant that Ben Curtis was was saying that the ground was very tacky for her, that she got away with it at Ascot, um, but that it wasn't ideal for her. And he's adamant that that didn't suit her. So I'd be prepared to mark her up for this. I think the fact that she managed to come from Royal Ascot with a win and back it up, uh, and she's had to do it the hard way, suggests that there's a bit more there. But the pre-morne, which will be live on Sky Sports Racing exclusively, is going to be a cracking, cracking race, to say the least. Uh, to round off the juveniles in Ireland, Mason for Gerlines and Colin Keane, uh, the champion jockey. Uh, this is another Kingman, uh, yet another horse for Khaled Abdullah. And Gerlines is developing a bit of a production line here. He's got Siskin. He has uh, some other very interesting horses coming through as well. And Mason looks an exciting type, Barry, who was very, very well backed as well. And in the face of it, there was... Van Gogh, who's by American Pharaoh, out of Imagine. So on paper, that horse would have been well-backed, but all the money was for Geraldine's horse, Mason. Yeah, was that in Leopardstown? Leopardstown, yeah. Yeah, the one the Maiden? Yes. Only mm. fell in. I laid him. <laughs> I thought he only fell in at the finish. I tell you one thing. Uh, yeah, no, I, I wasn't too impressed with him at all. He won from a 66 to 1 chance. That's right, yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, John yeah, Joseph Murphy. Sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, I oh God, I felt hard done by there now, having laid him, and I laid him at, at, at a pretty short price as well. He's a bet for SP at one point eight six. Yeah, I, I got, I laid him at about one point eight zero. Um, oh. There was a lot of nice horses in against him, but none of them seemed to be fancied. Not one of them. Van Gogh. There was no money for that. That finished up at six point eight in the exchange. The third horse of Joseph's that'll come on significantly for the run. Uh, Tashizu. Uh, that had a bet for SP of 11. Um, Jim Bulger's horse, Philly, the Loop de Vega Philly, she had a bet for SP of 13. So there was nothing fancied in the race. And a 66 to 1 chance just failed to get up, just got beaten by a head by Mason. So I wouldn't be running away with Mason at all. If anything, I'd be taking that on again uh, next time out. Okay. Well, you can take him on in the tire stakes is apparently where he's going to be rocking up next time. Uh, well, that's good to hear because uh, I... I, I, I there was absolutely nothing fancied in that race against them. And that's why he went off four to five. Well, note of caution, Gerlines has said that they'd left an awful lot to work on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that the market, <laughs> the market who didn't, didn't uh, definitely knew that there wasn't that much left to be worked on, that they sent them off odds on. And against some really nice bred horses that nothing, everything else in the race seemed to, the word seemed to be, oh, come on for the run, come on for the run. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll happily let Jer talk him up and I'll be laying him next day. Barry Orr cutting through the bullshit, just straight to the point. Nah, I'm not having it. I'm not having it at all. Um, of the juveniles, who were you most impressed with so over the last few days, Barry? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, Master to see. And I think, incidentally, Timeform have rated him the highest uh, two-year-old they've seen so far this season. Whoa. Yeah. That's a very, very bullish... Yeah. Like I said, I just really like the way he strode out all the way to the line. He put his head down and he quickened and just looks a really, really nice horse and he's well-bred. I, I really liked him. I'm taken by the fact that he's 16s for the 2,000 guineas with Betfair and I think that it has to be an anti-post bet to keep us warm over the winter. Um, hopefully everything will be okay with him, but I would... I'd be confident enough about him. I, I thought it was really, really impressive. And they seem to be making the right noises about him afterwards as well. Uh, Kate, for you, juvenile from the last few days? 
yeah, either tactical or master of the seas is, yeah, between those two. And I just thought, I mean, tactical, at least he he's sort of shown that he can handle different conditions. So I'd be more confident, I guess, in backing. But for sheer excitement and sheer potential, than master of the seas. Like I say, the foreman behind him, I love Devious Company. I thought Seventh Kingdom ran well and a few of the others in behind him I did also like as well. The fact he managed to get upset in the stores beforehand and that, and, I, and, and as I said, as Nick Luck said, that we've been waiting to see a superstar, well, a star two-year-old kind of burst onto the scene to make themselves known and he did exactly that. So he couldn't help but be impressed by him. So those two definitely are the two to take forwards for me. Okay, your standout performer from the last few days, Kate. Ooh, standout performer. Can I just say with those two again? <laughs> you can stick with the juveniles if you want. You can, of course. I love juveniles. Yeah, they're um, yeah. I get from from a from horses. Mm, yeah, from yeah, from horse perspective, those two. From training perspective, it's going to be between Oxted, who I did just really like for the teal yard. Uh, and Rosa Kildare, I thought that was a serious uh, training effort as well for her. So hopefully, if she goes to the German Oaks, I think she, I think the supplement is fifty thousand euros to be supplemented for that. So if she can go over there and go and get a Group One now, then I, I've just always really liked her, and I thought it was a yeah a really a really nice performance by her as well. Well, British and Irish horses have been crushing it in France, so why not Germany as well? Uh, May as well. Uh, Barry, your standout performance from the last few days. Oh, uh, Mahatter in the summer mile, and uh, I suppose Nazef. I thought uh, that was really smart as well, so they'd be my two. I would mention a horse we haven't talked about, Patrick Sarsfield. Credit to mm. Kate Tracy and to Sarah Lynham and to Rory Delargy, who put this horse up for the Irish Lincoln, wasn't it? Uh, on the final front podcast. He didn't get in, and he's gone and won everything since. Three wins in a row, six to five, five to four, five to two at the weekend. And um, as Brendan Powell was saying uh, on track, he has answered every single question they have asked him so far and he just keeps on winning. So we'll see what they do with him next time. That was over a mile and one. And uh, he's a damn good racehorse and every reason to think that he'll continue uh, from here. Uh, Barry Garrity has announced his retirement from racing. Uh, also, um, a big announcement last week, which is sort of now kind of gone by the wayside, uh, is Lizzie Kelly announcing her retirement as well. Uh, but Barry Garrity is without question one of the best jockeys I've ever seen. And he comes from a golden era of Tony McCoy, Ruby Walsh, Barry, uh, those three being very powerful, uh, and particularly Ruby and Barry, very, very stylish jockeys as well. And Barry, they gave us great memories, fantastic days. And if there's one thing you can say about it, I'm, I'm a little bit selfish about this and that I would love to have seen him come back next year. Uh, there is a sense that National Hunt Racing will never be the same again with Ruby, Tony and Barry now gone. Noel Feely, you could add into that as well. Richard Johnson is really the last of the old guard still standing. But oh, well, I, what about Davey? And of course, and of <laughs> course. Are you, are you putting him in with the young books? Of course, Davey Russell, but Davey's <laughs> never going to stop. Davey's going to be still riding at 65. Uh, he's an absolute hero. I hope so. Uh, but I'm pleased for Barry that he has walked away from the sport on his terms when he wants to, because as somebody who suffers with back pain, 
I have no idea how he has managed to continue race riding with, with all of the injuries he's had, because there's absolutely no way that he can be doing anything other than living in constant pain. Mm. Yeah, he's a, uh, I'll tell you what it is with Barry Garrity more than anything. He's a really, really nice human being. Well said. Uh, absolute gentleman and has time for everybody. Um, and a great jockey to boo, strong jockey, great judge of pace. Always want them on your side. If you were back in one and you, you really needed it to win, you love to see him get it down into the drive position and get one home. Um, just an all-round great jockey. And like you say, they, they kind of raised the, the, the standard and the level um, by they, 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 the competitiveness of Garrity, Ruby, AP, uh, Davy Russell to a lesser extent because those boys were all riding in the UK regularly. And they 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 competed so um, intensely with each other that it, they brought their each other's level up and they just raised it a notch. Um, and absolute masters of their profession without a shadow of a doubt. Like some of some of my happiest uh, memories and and not not true betting either. Just of being at race meetings and seeing some of the races at uh, Barry Garrity. Um, uh, in Sandown on Moscow Flyer when he beat Azertiob and then when he beat Well Chief in the in the Queen Mom Champion Chase, you know, just extraordinary stuff. Great for me, he'll e forever be associated with Moscow Flyer. Yeah, and yeah. and that's the way I'll remember him in that black and white silks. I I love that horse so much. He was an absolute hero, and to get to talk to Barry about him in person and for him to take the time to recount all that because everybody must do it. And I, and I couldn't help myself, but talk about that, particularly the Betfair Tinkle Creek and the look around the shoulder to fool Ruby. And you know, that's Ruby you're fooling. <laughs> like to make him think like, oh no, the, the tank is, is starting to empty because remember he'd fallen in the champion chase. So it, it looked as though Azertiob was the new king he, I, and even worse than fallen, he'd officially unseated Ryder in the yeah. champion chase, which I'm sure <laughs> he had that really weird, he had that really weird characteristic of was it every five or every sixth start he would unseat? It was a bizarre thing there, that he was there doing. There was a sequence yeah. put together at one stage. I think every four or five there'd be a UR, yeah. Really strange. But he gave him an absolute peach of a ride and then the champion chase to come back and, and win that again. And they were three terrific horses. Moscow Flyer to me, is the best two-mile chase I've ever seen. Look, I know Sprinter Sacker is a star, and Time Form can say whatever they want. Moscow Flyer has that mantle for me, and it will take something very, very special uh, to, to topple them. But the partnership that Barry and him had was just incredible, uh, and Well Chief and Azertiup were, were two top-class horses as well. In terms of his career, he won an Irish Grand National. I, I think Barry holds Monty's pass uh, and the Grand National as his favourite memory. Uh, two Gold Cup wins, two Stairs Hurdle wins, Four champion hurdle wins, five champion chase wins, 121 grade ones. And he would have been champion jockey at Cheltenham this year if it hadn't been for Paul Townend and Countback, Kate. Uh, a superb, <laughs> a superb jockey. And uh, great for him that he gets to walk away from the sport on his terms.
Yeah, definitely. As you say, after I, when the news initially came out, God, I was gutted. I really, because it just felt, as you say, that we've just lost another of the great era and we're so sort of <laughs> lacking those old guard jockeys left now. Obviously, Davey's still going strong, bossing around the young lads at the start. If any one of our listeners has seen that video that went viral on Twitter yesterday, it was just a nice reminder of it. Nope, we're still about. Some of these older boys are still about. Uh, but Barry was just fantastic and uh, as you say those memories that first got me into racing of those two mile chases of Moscow Flyer of World Chief of Azertia was just the the thing that always sticks in my mind of my childhood with racing and him also away from just his stats and his wins and his coolness under pressure and the fact he's come off of an incredible challenge just when people were starting to sort of doubt him and he's always kind of just been uh, sort of people have loved to pick holes in his rides ever since he got the JP job and it uh, very unfairly I think in so many cases but aside from that and aside from obviously his ride on champ that that people have been talking about and echoing and resharing throughout the last couple of days there but just him as a person and as I said on Twitter that I was lucky enough to lead him up a few times and no matter what it was I put up a photo there it was Jerry's back his first winner in this country uh, first winner under rules from his point to point time over in Ireland and we were at Plumpton I think it was a Monday in January it was a freezing cold day no one was there Barry came rode him he won and he could not have given me a better debrief beforehand as soon as he got on him in the cratering asking all about how he'd been at home how he'd been schooling what his temperament was like you know he didn't have to do any of that he really didn't have to do any of that he could have just asked one of the lads in the way room or how's that lad been at home or you know he would have known himself but the fact he made the effort to even ask those questions and when he came back in he made sure to tell me exactly sort of how he was hurdling how he's going to progress sort of the ground conditions everything that was in his favor and the performance that he posted and it always really stands out to those in racing when a jockey does that when they really give the time of day to the groom to appreciate their opinion, to give them the respect enough to talk to them first before talking to the trainer, before the traveling head person, before the owner even, to comment about the horse there and then to them. Just is always something that people are going to remember a jockey by when they've retired past all the stats is how they sort of treated those in the industry and their fans as well. So, And Barry had that in, a, in an abundant amount. It costs nothing to be nice, but not everybody is. Uh, particularly when they get to that level. But Barry always kept that class. Uh, absolute gentleman, uh, a legend. And um, racing's going to be worse off for his departure. But I, I hope he sticks around. I hope he's going to be involved in the media side of things because he speaks very well. And it's been a pleasure to work with him on on the old at the races and Cheltenham preview nights that I've done with him. He's, he's a great character. It was a very difficult job because if you're top man for JP... What the hell can you say? Frankie tight lips will take your knees off if you if you give away any <laughs> handicap good thing. You know, it's an impossible job. Um, but I, I think he he did a, a brilliant job, a uh, fantastic jockey, and and uh, we're going to miss him. We're definitely going to miss him. But I, I'm looking forward to hearing him uh, have his say in in the media. And uh, I believe there was a massive celebration over the weekend. So well done to him. Fantastic career, and uh, and best of luck to. Lizzie Kelly as well, because she had a mother and father of a fall at Cheltenham and didn't realise that she was pregnant at the time. 
Uh, and she was saying yesterday on Look on Sunday that she would have been in bits if she had known. So baby's fine and uh, and well done to her. She had a great career as well. And, you know, the first female rider to win a grade one over fences. No one's ever going to take that from her. Uh, but Barry Garrity, uh, an absolute legend and uh, great to talk about jump racing. That's it. We are done. Uh, absolute pleasure having the dynamic duo of Barry Orr and Kate Tracy on the show again. Uh, Kate, you don't know this, but you're back on next week. Lovely job. <laughs> Thanks for the heads up. Uh, Caroline, <laughs> Murta, Caroline Murta will be on with us and uh, there may very well be a special guest from Sky, but we'll keep that under wraps for now, shall we? Uh, we're back on Thursday when Tom Bull and Rory Delargy will be taking us through the best bets for the weekend and I'm looking forward to that show as well. Barry Orr, a pleasure as always, my friend. Thanks, folks. Really enjoyed that. Talk to you soon. Kate Tracy, see you next week. Yeah, see you then. No, absolute pleasure as always. Covered a lot of races there. So hopefully we covered as many as the listeners liked. And yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks very much, guys. Make sure you add those horses that Kate gave you to your At The Races tracker and indeed Barry as well, because there is some gold in that information for you. We'll chat to you on Thursday. Hope to talk to you then. Have a great week. God bless. Will it happen or won't it happen? You can bet on it with the Betfair Exchange, proud sponsors of the Final Furlong podcast. Have you downloaded the free app The Races app yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheracescom forward slash app for more details.